Welcome, Stanley. Great to have you. Bless you, my friend. It's my wonderful privilege to be with you again. The last time I came here was 2010. So quite a lot of new faces since then. And uh, good to be with you. I'm so delighted that uh, you are doing a series for this whole year on the subject called Kingdom of God. And I am happy to share on the same subject as well. Uh, and I have seen your uh, uh, statement that you have uh, for your churches, group of churches, and that is, uh, it says, the commission's vision is a vision to see thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. As a movement, you are wanting to do that. A CityGate's vision is, our vision is to see lives transformed every day across the bay we are transformed by his grace to bring his kingdom transformation to the lives around us. And I want to just continue in that trend, what is your vision, and see about the transformation of the lives around you. I want to say by saying that there is a difference between gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of salvation deals with the good news to set me free personally, to get my sins forgiven and to assure me a safe passage to heaven. Everything is personal, but the gospel of the kingdom goes beyond the personal to the community outside, to the nation. It starts with personal. It must always start with gospel of salvation. It must lead primarily to the first and foremost, the salvation of my soul, but then it should go into my wallet, transform there, my money as well, and then transform my relationships with my family, and then it must go with me to my workplace and in my community. So I'm going to stretch ourselves towards that part of stressing on the influence of God in the society. The parable of the sower and seed in Matthew 13, it says the seed is referred to as a message of the kingdom. And therefore, we must know it is not only a message of the word of God, but the word of God that impacts the community around. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14, the Lord says, if you fully obey my commands, then the impact will be in all areas. And I have listed out some of those areas. Agriculture, chapter 28, verse 8 of Deuteronomy. Business, travel, weather, spiritual, financial, defense, livestock, leadership, fame and honor, political, family, employment, domestic, educational. In short, every area of life is being impacted. If you fully obey, then the gospel will begin to impact all the neighborhood. Now, if we, I'm going all this with a view to give us some theological base before I go into the practical application. If you want to see the impact of the community in the New Testament, we'll see in the, nation, in the city of Ephesus that once Paul preached the sale of a certain idol of the goddess Dinah began to collapse and people began to burn the books of witchcraft. In other words, the preaching of the gospel impacted the city, impacted the commerce, Inspected, impacted the religion of that place and uh, 
changed the whole scenario. In fact, it resulted in a, a riot. And so the sale of this goddess, idol of goddess Diana, plummeted uh, strongly. So when we preach the gospel and transforms us, then it will go out into the society. We think of the city of Philippi, a girl with a spirit of divination was set free by Paul. Again, it affected the commerce of that place. Somebody uh, who was making money out of her particular spirit of divination, his business collapsed. And again, there was some reaction, so much so that they were put behind bars, but there was an earthquake and they were set free. It impacted. The jailer became, became a follower of Jesus along with his full family. So it is not to... It is not something we do privately within the four walls of our church, but something that goes out and makes an impact in the neighborhood. In the Bible, we have the, the temple, which has got different sections, the most holy place, the holy place, then the uh, compound or the courtyard. And then there is a section meant for Gentiles. Even they have, uh, even they have made room for the Gentiles. But the business people had made it as it were a business center that prevented from Gentiles from worshiping. And Jesus came and overturned those particular businesses that were there. In other words, uh, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And you have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus' vision was not just a few handful, not just in the temple, not just some church building premises, but a call for all the nations to be impacted. When Mary was uh, <clears throat> told the good news about the birth of Jesus, that she's going to be pregnant and going to give birth, she sang her famous song, uh, Luke chapter 1, 52, 53. She says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Notice the political implication brought down the rulers from the throne and lifted the humble. And a social statement, fill the hungry with good things, but send the rich away empty. With the coming of Jesus, politics and commerce will also be affected. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll find something about agriculture. In Genesis, you have a famine that has come and Isaac is about to move, but God tells him, stay put. And he stays put. And he gets a bumper harvest, so much so that the people in the neighborhood, they look into their so-called people who do divination and say, this man has got a great favor, a great God, and great impact. And they come to make peace, a peace treaty with him, knowing that we can't take on him or can't take on his God. He has got superpowers that he works with. In other words, agriculture in the time of famine, you can have a bumper harvest. Militarily, you find all across in the Old Testament, supernatural intervention from God to help people of Israel, whether Jericho is destroyed, Goliath is killed, Philistines were repeatedly defeated, Arameans were defeated, Syrians were defeated, Egyptian chariots were drowned, and so on and so forth. You will find an impact made in everything all around. Kings and laws of nations were affected during the times of Daniel. Some of you may have seen the coronation yesterday, and I watched it, and I saw that the script 
which was followed is so biblically based and so uh, even even the bible has affected what happens as it were in monarchy in kingship in in the government and so such is the power and in the times of daniel it happened again in the times of daniel shadrach meshach abednego mordecai esther joseph the law of medes and persians once it is passed cannot be changed for 6 months but god intervened and overnight darius wiped out that whole old law of laws of medes and persian and enacted a new law yes god can change and we use this passage to pray in our land because in india there are nine states where they have passed draconian anti conversion bills and those are meant to harass and imprison and and affect us but we are praying that just like the law of medes and persians could be reversed we are praying that these will be reversed they already got reversed in two particular states and we pray that god will reverse it in other states as well uh, if you look into church so far we have seen old testament and new testament we look into church history we have one of the most powerful empire 2000 years ago the roman empire christianity started with 12 disciples most of them fishermen and so on and so forth ordinary fishermen trained by a carpenter absolute minority but the an early church was persecuted politically by romans and religiously by the jewish community but something happened the seed of god worked in them and through them and eventually it brought down the mighty roman empire which was a world power by ad 313 the roman emperor constantine issued the edict of milan legalizing christianity and 10 years later rome was declared as a christian nation yeah motley bunch of people god works with minority and affects most powerful empires the bible was uh, for the first 1400 years was only available to a limited few people who could understand greek hebrew and latin but the common people spoke other languages and they had no access to it only clergy were allowed to read it and teach it but various people took the courage to translate those bibles into our common language like you know people here william tindale wickliff translated the bible into english martin luther translated into german language the result was revival church growth shakespeare wrote his top notch christian literature and he borrowed so much material from the bible and eventually scientific discoveries took place including that of steam engine steam power resulting in industrial revolution and during the time of john wesley a george whitfield spiritual revival took place in uk which resulted in social reforms instead uh, based on the writings of a man called charles dickens who wrote the famous novel called oliver twist highlighting the plight of orphans the result was the nation had to pass bills to protect the orphans so the one with the gift of writing was able to affect the policies nursing profession reached its peak during the time of florence florence nightingale william wilberforce became a member of parliament and led a relentless battle to abolish slave trade to look for prison reforms to cancellation of debts and many other ngos was started for the upliftment of the poor and marginalized what i'm saying is if you look at this history there is rich history right here 
is that how these people took the gospel message of the kingdom into a political field of the parliament or whether it is the nursing profession the medical field or the social work of where the orphans were in other words the gospel must penetrate into the neighborhood now i take you to my country in india i want to say that we have a part of it not so good record you may not want to hear it the britishers ruled us for over 200 years and they looted us and they oppressed us but that's the subject i'm not going to speak about <laughs> i may not be invited again so i'm just bad <laughs> But I want to say that in as much as that dark history remains, there is a phenomenal work by, done by the British missionaries who came to India. And I'm going to just highlight a few of those. And in the year 1813, till then, the British missionaries were not allowed by East India Company to come to India. In fact, the great... Uh, <clears throat> the great missionary called william carey who translated the bible into 35 indian languages he was not allowed to board a british ship he had to board a dutch ship in order to come to india such was the opposition because wherever trade and commerce is there and then you spread the gospel then all those with vested interest get undermined and they don't want that they don't want their monopoly and their power to be affected so they resisted the missionaries at that point of time but in the year 1813 uh, you had the charter of the east india company came up for renewal and people like william wilberforce again and uh, zachary mccauley they laid a charge saying that unless east india company would give permission for missionaries to go to india and unless they would allot a certain huge amount for the education of people in india this charter will not be renewed and finally east india company relented and they allowed this two things to happen once that education thing was accepted that x amount of money would be put for the education of the people in india in the year 1813 zachary mccauley who was a member of the team called the clapham sect run by this person called william wilberforce he went to the through the scottish synod and encouraged the scottish synod see that we have got permission for missionaries to go we have got the funds would you be willing to go to india to help educate them and through the education preach the gospel and so different people came alexander duff came to a place called kolkata on the east coast of india and he uh, started schools then a college ultimately started the university of kolkata john wilson came a scottish man came to mumbai my place and he started a school college and then the university and another man called uh, john anderson reverend john anderson he went to a city called madras now called chennai and he started the university of chennai again these three stalwarts did it and they did uh, they did a very powerful work because in india you have caste system the upper caste which is the priestly caste the warrior caste and the business caste these three are the upper caste and then you have the lower caste and then you have the outcast the low caste and outcast have no privilege of education whatsoever but when they started these three people started they included all the members of whichever caste they were so the upper caste people 
got very upset and boycotted these schools and colleges. But none of these three guys relented from making any changes. They said our educational institutes are open for all people. Those upper caste people left, wandered around, found nothing else as good, as quality, as suitable as what they were taught. And a couple of years later, all sheepishly came back into that place. <laughs> so I admire those people. There were almost riots going to break out because through the preaching and the teaching in the schools and colleges, revival was breaking out. People from different uh, religions were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet these people continued on relentless. So the, through the medium of education, the intelligentsia of our nation got impacted. The other missionaries were able to impact the low caste and the outcast, but these people affected the so-called high caste. William Wilberforce also donated a printing press through which William Carey printed the Bibles in different languages. But not only did he print the Bibles, he printed it books of art, science, commerce, you name the subjects, he printed it. Now, up till then, our education system was such that there would be one tutor of a particular caste, say a warrior caste who is skilled in bow and archery, he will take a bunch of a handful of people also of the same caste, the warrior caste, and equip them and teach them and train them in whatever subject he was good at. Which meant bulk of the people had no access to education whatsoever. The Brahmin, the priestly caste, would teach the upper caste, the priestly caste students. And they would be taught those particular subjects from their religious literature, from that particular language. And so ordinary people had no access whatsoever. You cannot get admitted because you were from another caste. But with William Carey doing his work of printing, making it available to the all and sundry, every whichever caste he may be, he gets a piece of literature. He can study every subject under the sun because William Carey printed that material for them. And these other three compatriots of his did those educational institutes, so they taught it. People were made literate and they had literature available to them. This led to transformation and that started the growth of our nation. Whenever education, educational levels are increased, the nation really develops and progresses and that's what they did in our whole life. The printing press was an amazing thing that they did. There is a, those days we had in the courtrooms, in the, in the, in the, uh, palaces and courtrooms, they spoke, they spoke Persian language. The religious books of the Brahmins was Sanskrit. And in certain elite society, they spoke Urdu. But the ordinary people spoke other languages. And it was a man, a missionary called Sam Kellogg, who went, to the, who went across the whole of North India, picking up the common words from all the different languages which were spoken by people and compiled a language known as Hindi. It was a missionary, a white missionary, British missionary, who formed and gave us a language by which northern half is, invited, is, is united in that process. And today that has become like the national language for the upper half of uh, the, 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 the country. So again, they are doing a remarkable, they wrote the dictionaries, they wrote um, grammar books, bulk of our languages, those dictionaries and grammar books are written by them. This also resulted in social reform. There was a lady called Amy Carmichael, many of you know from your place. She abolished a system of Dev Dasi where children were being dedicated 
by families dedicated, one of the girl child would be dedicated to a goddess Yalama. Sounds nice, but invariably that child would become a sex slave of the priest who worked in that particular place. And when they used and used and used that girl child, when they had no use of her, they sold that girl off to the red light district. Some of these children ran away, came to Amy Carmichael for shelter. Amy Carmichael took them in. And once she took them in, it became known. So other children ran away for shelter. And she ran a home. They tried to burn her home. But she managed to survive through. And she began to bring all these children and ran a massive orphanage. And she relentlessly fought a battle with the British government, which was ruling our land that time, to say this practice is a horrendous practice. It must be abolished. Eventually, British government bowed down and passed a bill to abolish the Devdasi system. William Carey saw that when, according to Indian Hindu custom, if a man dies, the widow has no worth, no value. When they cremate the man, the, wife, the widow wife should jump into the fire and be burned to death alive. Of course, not every widow would be eager to jump. They would hesitate. They would relax. <laughs> Then the men will drag her to the fire and take bamboo poles and pin her. And as she would be screaming, they would be beating the drums to drown her sound. But that is how it was done. William Carey went to rescue and he was stopped. And he said, this is outright murder. And through his magazine, weekly magazine and daily newspaper, he relentlessly wrote and wrote and wrote articles after articles, pictures after pictures. Eventually, the British government bowed down and abolished this widow-burning system. Thank God for the missionaries that our women are alive. Widows are alive. And it is amazing work they did. And usually, the top dogs have to look after the underdogs. And that's the privilege of everyone who comes in, in, as a missionary to that place. And they transformed it. Dr. Nancy Mansell found that the, there were child marriages going on. Children four, five, six years old were given in marriage. She pressed the government. A bill was passed. She asked for minimum age 15. Government passed it for 12. Today, the... Uh, there, there are no more child marriages. The minimum age is 18. Uh, there is another missionary called Charles Malt and, uh, in, in South India. And there the women of the lower caste were not allowed to wear anything on the upper part of the body. And they could be misused by any men from the upper caste. And the missionaries saw this and they felt offended by this. So they stitched some clothes for covering the upper part of the body but when these women wore and went into the streets the upper caste people beat them up black and blue a riot broke out and then the maharaja of that area requested the british government please go and intervene your missionaries are doing a good job so british government came and then they eventually passed a bill allowing the women to wear and cover their upper parts of the body this only happened about less than a century and a half ago but that was a relentless fight. It was the missionaries who helped this. There were tribal people who were being exploited by the tradespeople, giving them a pittance and earning a huge amount. It was the missionaries who stood in between and ensured that the tribals got a good price for their products. The result was the tribal people began to get uplifted in every way. Again, it was the missionaries who fought for them. If you look at the medical world, in our era, those eras, if the, the, uh, the nursing profession 
was considered to be a very uh, low profession. Nobody wanted uh, to go for nursing profession. Those who went were considered to be, you know, uh, categorized as red light girls. And so there was no respect whatsoever uh, up till then. And um, women, when they were patient, they cannot be, uh, if they wanted to deliver a baby, no man shall look on her nakedness for delivery. So that was it. If you didn't have female doctors, you had it. Midwives helped and often it led to in, uh, death of infants and so on and so forth. So that became a horrendous thing. There were a lot of uh, child uh, birth, children were, uh, were born dead or by, by the time of delivery died because of this particular practice. And therefore there was a shortage and a few women medical doctors came from UK to India and ministered in our particular place. One particular doctor, Elizabeth Bielby, was on the verge of retirement. She was about to go back when a queen of Panna became very sick. Her local doctors couldn't help her. They invited this particular doctor, Elizabeth Bielby. She treated the queen. She got healed. But she also came to know, uh, the queen of Panna came to know that this doctor is going back. So, the Queen of Panna wrote a letter to the Queen of England, put it, folded it, put it into a locket and attached it to a necklace and gave that necklace to this Dr. Elizabeth Bailby and said, will you please give this particular necklace to your Queen and ask her to read my letter in that locket. And that was done. Queen of England read it and Queen of England, and basically she was saying, the letter said, your doctor Elizabeth has done a remarkable work. She's going back. Will you please send women doctors? We desperately need women doctors. And the Queen of England announced, if there are any women doctors, please go to India. So lots and lots of women doctors came to India. And uh, <clears throat> they, they, were, uh, they started clinics, dispensaries, hospitals, nursing colleges, medical colleges that mushroomed all over the nation and the nursing profession became more and more respected. Diplomas were awarded for specialized courses like tuberculosis for the first time ever. Leprosoriums were started for the first time ever but started by these people. In the year 2010, India had the largest number of women doctors than any other nation in the world. Thanks to these people who did that. And in 1947, 90% of the nurses were Christians and they have done a remarkable work in the midst of us. Our Christian population is small but the number of Christian doctors are 12% in our land. We also have stigma but the missionaries were able to overcome the stigma by starting the first leprosorium and some doctors died in the process. The first TB sanatorium, the first psychiatric hospital and nursing care, HIV AIDS sunset homes were started by the missionaries the home for the blind, home for the aged and beggars and disabled were all started by missionaries. Home for the orphans, widows, unwed mothers started by missionaries. Otherwise, these widows, the orphans could be killed, but the missionaries gave them protection. Anti-abortion clinics and shelter homes, adoption agencies, all started by missionary. And we, we bless God. In Mumbai, there is an 800-bedded hospital, and it is run by a non-Christian they are top-notch industrialists. But they have two, three rooms meant for anybody of that particular industrious family 
if they fall sick they come to those rooms but whenever they come guess what they ask please depute a christian nurse to look after us people from other religion want a christian nurse why would they want a christian nurse because something that motivates the christian nurse is far different what motivates other people we have an ability by the gift of compassion to make an impact in society which others don't have there were agricultural reforms a missionary by name sam higginbottom came and he saw year after years because of bad because of bad practices um, uh, they found that they the they were having famine and farmers were committing suicide he was originally from britain but then he went to us got himself equipped by training uh, and came back and he took a 600 acre farm got a few young people with their help he taught them and he uh, did a big farm he got a bumper harvest called all the farmers around they were amazed that while their farms were doing terrible he was able to get a bumper harvest so they were willing to come to his institute agriculture institute learn also about animal husbandry and the result was subsequently all these farmers who came practice what he was teaching and they got a bumper harvest there was another nobel laureate who came and he brought about a green revolution in our land again a believer and so there were many agricultural reforms likewise there were other things on indian administrative services started by macole and that caused equipped the bureaucrats to come now as i close i want to say this the gospel the message of the kingdom is not meant only for the four walls it is not meant only for the souls of men the hebrew mindset is body soul and spirit the whole person and therefore the message of the kingdom should not be possessed and uh, held by us but be shared outside i want to speak of three ways Uh, we can draw a line i don't want to say three types of christians but let's say three types of christian one is a pietistic christian a pietistic christian is born again water baptized spirit filled they daily have their quiet time they have a family they nurture two kids they own a house they have a job and they move up in their career they are ambitious to improve their status they pray regularly at home and in church they faithfully attend the church they give to the church and they move only among christian circles pietistic christians i pray we are all pietistic then you have evangelistic christians they have most of the qualities of these pietistic christians but in addition they look for opportunities to share the gospel with others they give away books and tracts and new testaments and even the bible they pray for people they will interact with people from other faiths invite them home discuss faith with them they regularly share their testimony they pray for people in their work spot in prisons and in hospitals they are outward focused they have drawn a line different from the pietistic they are little bigger but i want to end by saying there are kingdom christians they go far beyond the about to they make the problems that other people face and work hard to find solution for their issues they will fight for the underdogs they intervene in the area of medicine education poorer sections social work among the marginalized social reform eradication of poverty upliftment of the downtrodden advocacy for the oppressed write articles generously support causes of the less privileged they take on justice issue etc often they do this sacrificially and at the risk of their lives 
they do not have personal ambition but have a great vision for others and therefore i want to say what kind of christian would you like to be you as a nation art we owe it a lot you have blessed us tremendously because your missionaries were kingdom people they went with the kingdom message and impacted our nation we are where we are because of them are you willing to be a kingdom christian what changes in your lifestyle can you think of as a result of today's message and what is the holy spirit saying to you why don't you pause for a minute minute and a half and make your transaction with god whatever you feel the spirit is speaking to you you talk to god as i end and brother gordon comes on the stage thank you